Hi, I'm Jason Scorse, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great. So today's episode is entitled Political Polarization as a Sign of Moral Progress in America. And that might strike some of you as strange and off-key here. And so I'm going to kind of walk you through why I think it's actually correct. Now, of course, throughout media and commentary, people lament the hyper-partisanship and polarization of American society. You know, it's pretty much on a daily basis somebody is lamenting, you know, this kind of extreme differences we have. And of course, people fighting and disagreeing isn't fun or, you know, often pleasurable to be around. But I'm going to make the argument that it's actually really a sign of progress in a pretty deep and profound way. Before I get into this, I want to also just point out the fact that on the issues, things aren't nearly as polarized as they seem, right? So in America, large majorities support universal background checks on for guns. Uh, large majorities think we should tax the rich more. They think we should expand the social safety net. They think we should do more investments in green power and energy. So it's actually, the reality is America isn't on the issues as polarized as we think. What's really preventing compromise is the Mitch McConnells of the world and the far right who through the institutions of minority rule are able to block progress that really large majorities of America support. And so this isn't a two-way street. The first thing is the the reason we don't have progress on the issues where large majorities actually do agree is a story of right-wing extremism and again minority rule with Mitch McConnell, the the ultimate villain of the 21st century. But I want to go deeper than that. Go deeper than just the kind of party institutional mechanics that are preventing progress, but get to the times when America was less polarized. And I want to argue that those times, typically the 50s, 60s, and even into kind of the 70s and 80s, when both sides, Democrats and Republicans, worked together a lot more, were actually not good times for America in pretty profound ways. And that the agreement on some of the economic and social policy was actually masking really an incredible complicity in the oppression of many minorities in the country, of women and of gay people. And it was actually a pretty dark time. So while we flatter ourselves and look back in our history as kind of these kind of golden ages of of bipartisanship, I actually think that once you understand what was going on, uh, you realize that that was a fake uh, agreement in in a fake, not necessarily a fake agreement, but 
a kind of a fake calm, a fake tranquility that really masked these much darker forces that were at work. And so I think the fights that we're having now are an example of moral progress because there's a growing majority that wants a truly multiracial, multi-ethnic, multicultural society. And there's a strong, virulent minority blocking that. And as these two sides become much more clearly sorted, we see this big kind of political fights. But I'm going to argue increasingly over the course of this episode that we should be celebrating this, that the fights that we're having now are really deep fights for the soul of the nation that have been kind of obscured and brushed under the rug and put aside for most of our history and are now out in the forefront and really are the, the key fights to make America truly into a great society, which it has never been, but has the finally the potential to be in this era. So after the break, I'll come back and try to fill in the, the, the pieces in this narrative. Trashman didn't get much trash today. Oh, why? Because they want more pay. Buses on strike want to raise and fare. So they can help. Okay, so I'd like to start this narrative with a kind of thought experiment here, and and that is, if I had come of age in the 50s and 60s, I would hope that I was a Republican and not a Democrat. And the reason is, is that the Democrats, despite the New Deal and Franklin Delano Roosevelt and a lot of their really, you know, impressive progressive agenda, were the party of white supremacy. And many progressive victories really included a kind of complicity in an enforced apartheid and domestic terrorism throughout much of the country. Obviously, this apartheid was the strongest in the South, but it wasn't exclusively in the South. There was Democratic majorities throughout much of the North were enforcing all kinds of incredible racial oppression, and these were Democrats. And so as much as I love the, the modern Democratic Party, and we'll, we'll get into the history of how the Democratic Party shed its white supremacist past, but if I had been born in, in, in a different era, I hope that I would have been a Republican. And, and, and the, the reason being here is that the Republicans were the party of Lincoln back then. They had not embraced white supremacy, and they were really the ones at the vanguard of, of kind of racial justice. Now, I'm not going to say that the Republicans of the 1950s and 60s were you know, paragons of virtue and they weren't you know, always at the front lines, but they were certainly preferable to the Democrats on many of these points. And so the cooperation in this era, these, this kind of golden age of cooperation and a less partisan era was really the fact that there were racists in both parties. There were many conservatives in the Democratic Party that were incredibly racist and regressive. 
and there were actually some liberals in the GOP. So there was a lot much more cross-pollination of kind of ideologies across the parties, but both of them did have a lot of complicity in keeping down women, in keeping down black and brown people, and certainly in oppressing and keeping down gays. And so this much more mixed system didn't break down along clear ideological lines and therefore allowed coalitions to build that were kind of equal in their oppressive and progressive elements. So my point being here is the history is pretty clear here that the bipartisanship, the lack of deep polarization was at the expense of huge swaths of American people that were pretty much sacrificed. Their rights and their well-being was sacrificed at the altar of bipartisanship. And how did this change? Well, in the 1960s, finally the Democrats got serious about civil rights. They passed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, and they really made a good faith effort to shed their racist past and and they did it with real difficult action to try to show that black and brown people were going to be respected as full citizens in the American project. When that happened, many of the racists in the Democratic Party switched over to the Republican Party. You you know the the euphemism for many of this this switch is the Reagan Democrats, right? So who were these Democrats that switched over from the Democratic Party to kind of the Reagan Republican Revolution. For the most part, many of this was people with strong racist attitudes who switched over and were angry that the Democrats privileged civil rights and voting rights over their you know immediate economic interests. And this began a huge sorting that has happened from the 1960s to the present in which many of the most virulent racists in society have now found a home in the Republican Party. So what I like to point out here is not all Republicans are racists, but most racists are Republicans, or at least vote that way. At the same time as many of the most virulent racists left the Democratic Party and joined the Republican Party, the Democratic Party became a party much more of educated, college-educated people. And educated people tend to be more secular. So the Democratic Party during the last few decades has become a much more educated and secular party, whereas the Republican Party then has become refuge for the much more strongly religious. So what we've had is a sorting of ideologies that have led to the Republican Party becoming much more a refuge for racists and theocrats, people who want America to be a white Christian nation and to impose those religious values on the rest of society. Then when you add on the gun absolutists and the plutocratic classes that have taken over the GOP and turned it into a white grievance cult that can serve their economic interests, you have a situation where the parties have sorted to the point where almost all of the worst ideologies are concentrated in the Republican Party. The Democrats are not perfect by any means. I never want to get that across that I'm thinking the Democrats are somehow saints or somehow perfect. 
But if you go down the line, issue by issue, the GOP is pretty much a, a concentration of the worst of the worst. They're horrible on climate change and the environment. They're horrible on women's rights. They're horrible on gay rights. They're horrible on gun issues. They're horrible on educational issues. And they're horrible on taxes and economic inequality. The GOP is now basically an ideological cesspool that has concentrated the worst of the worst in America. And that's why I have not been surprised and was not surprised by their embrace of President Trump and Donald Trump as the candidate, who is basically an encapsulation of the worst of America, right? As an individual, Donald Trump is really, if you concentrated the worst aspects of all of American society, society, racist, con man, liar, mentally emotional misfit and kind of mental illness, greed, making fun of the vulnerable, picking on the vulnerable, using his power to kind of uh, increase and foment violence and rage and conspiracy theories. So a horrible failed businessman who stiffed people and destroyed the wealth that he that he inherited. So really, you couldn't come up with a, a person who represents the worst of the worst, but he's a perfect reflection of an ideology that is the worst of the worst. So this is a pretty stark you know, um, picture that I'm painting here, and there are some pretty uh, you know, deep ramifications that we need to grapple with uh, that we'll get to after the break. You were put here to protect us. Time you say that's illegal doesn't mean that that's true. Your authorities never question you. No one questions you. If I hit you, I'll be killed. But you hit me, I can sue. Order, order. Looking through my history book, I've watched you as you grew. Killing blacks and calling it the law. And worshiping Jesus too. There was a time when a black man Okay, so where does all of this lead us, right? So we have this polarized age in which the progressive forces have coalesced on the left in the Democratic Party, and the most regressive reactionary forces have coalesced in the Republican Party. What we have is a historic opportunity to finally unambiguously defeat the reactionary forces. It used to be that some of those reactionary forces were in the Democratic camp and in the Republican camp, and so the, 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 the waters were muddied. If you wanted to fight white supremacy, you definitely couldn't be in the Democratic Party, but there were also some reactionary forces in the Republican Party, so it was, a, it was an ambiguous where you go. Again, I hope that I would have chosen to to leave the Democratic Party and be a Republican because I think they had a, a better moral vision when it was the 1950s and 60s before the, the Democrats passed the civil rights legislation. But now it's clear there is one party for progress, one party that wants to bring us backwards, one party for white supremacy, one party for a multiracial, multiethnic society. 
And so now we have very, very clear sense of right and wrong. And the, the right wing, the Republican Party, is on the wrong side of history. They are trying to bring America backwards. And no more is this clear that they are strongly in support of Donald Trump, who is a white supremacist, con man, lunatic. That's the tell. The fact that 90% of Republicans support a white supremacist, lunatic, con man tells you everything you need to know, right? So the fact is the GOP is now the worst of the worst on everything that we need to think about. And so the target is clear. They are a minority. They are a shrinking minority. They are going to use every trick and lie and voter suppression and every part, you know, electoral advantage that they have through a constitution that gives minorities disproportionate power to continue. But now those of us in the Democratic and on the left camp, we can isolate them and we can defeat them and we can send them into the dustbin of history uh, and make America progress. There will be plenty of time to work out the differences on the left, right? But I, as I repeat over and over again, the differences on the left and right are orders of magnitude more great than the differences on the left alone. So we have a corrupt authoritarian party that is trying to burn this place down, that is trying to sow division and really destroy the social fabric of this nation. And on the left, what are we arguing about? We're arguing about the right way to get universal health care or how big to go on climate change. Again, we, we have plenty to work out on the left, but the difference between the left and the right is like a different moral universe. It is a completely different vision for the country, whereas the differences within the left are basically, you know, small bore in comparison. And so if the left can focus and defeat the enemy on the right, we will finally be able to devote our energies to positive works and not simply the damage control that we're doing, you know, while the right wing brings a wrecking ball to the social fabric of this nation. Now, of course, this polarization does bring danger. And it, and it is it is a dangerous moment when you have such stark differences, when you have literally this fight for the soul of the nation, right? When one group, the Republican Party, is home to almost all of the bad ideas in the country and it is under assault from this greater society that finally wants to move beyond uh, this kind of, you know, these reactionary ideologies, the right wing is going to get more desperate and they're going to get more craven. We see this. Donald Trump is the natural progression of a party that knows it doesn't have moral authority and it just needs to bludgeon society in any way it can to get its way. So we see this really, really clearly, and it is dangerous, right? We see increased violence in society. We see the right wing and their, you know, love of guns and their, you know, we see the the, the white supremacist violence that's been on the, the increase. Right. This rogues gallery of racists and con men, as they get exposed and defeated, they are going to strike back at society in increasingly desperate and violent ways. This is why we need strong leaders on the left and in the Democratic Party who understand the stakes, who understand that this is a, a real existential fight for who we are as a nation and who are not going to be afraid to use the rule of law 
to prosecute these people and send a clear message that their violence and chaos and corrupt, unlawful behavior is not going to be tolerated in the new America. Now, at the same time, if the left can deliver real material progress, better health care, education, green jobs, the people who we are fighting, eventually their antagonism will wane and will slowly fade and peter out. But I don't want to be under any illusion that this is a short-term project. This is a generational project, and we just have to really have clear understanding of the stakes here, the fight that that is in process. And the fact that things are so polarized is a sign of moral progress. It is a sign that finally majorities of America are not going to stand by and allow society to oppress, you know, the the black, black and brown people, women and religious minorities and, and gay and transgender people that we are all of equal value and it is no longer acceptable for the white you know, Christian majority to oppress the rest of society. So this is where we're at. And everyone, I want to repeat this, right? Many people in the right are being harmed by the policies that they are inadvertently promoting, whether it's bad health care and bad education and bad environmental policy. People on the right are being harmed and suffering because of this. So the victory of the left will help them as well. And we can you know, work hard to kind of get people out of this cult of desperation and craven racism. But that is a generational struggle. And it's going to be a lot of work and a lot of a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get there. But that's the moment we're at. And I think it's a great sign of moral progress that the left has taken on you know, this, this mantle. So after the break, I'll come back with some antidotes for how we can all contribute to this, uh, this struggle. Antidotes for today. I will begin with the the suggestion that we don't bemoan polarization, that in fact we embrace it. Right? Our job this generation is to finally defeat the worst aspects of American culture, the ugly, brutal, and violent part of our culture and our history that is almost now exclusively concentrated on the right wing. We have an opportunity to finally get beyond this kind of false bipartisanship of the past that in many ways was shameful. It was both parties agreeing to look the other way and allow massive exploitation and oppression of large segments of the American population. So we should be proud to put those days in the rearview mirror, and we should be proud to be engaged in this fight to finally build an inclusive uh, American society. So what we now need are warriors for justice, who are ready to fight politically, 
who aren't afraid to state unequivocally that diversity and multiculturalism are better than white supremacy, that climate change is the greatest threat facing humanity, that women's bodies are for them to control, end of story, that the government is not the enemy, but a representative of our collective values that can be used for the good of all. So we need unapologetic liberals who are willing to fight the good fight and use their power to help all Americans. We are the ones who will ultimately unify the nation against this right-wing onslaught. So I am calling on all of you to, to eagerly join this struggle, eagerly embrace the, the path forward, and to not shy away from polarization. Right? It's okay to oppose evil reactionary ideologies. You should be proud of that. And the beautiful thing is, is that the Democratic Party and the left, for all its faults, and there are many, is finally joining together all the good of America uh, and really trying to put forward a vision that really, I think, is, is something we can all get behind and is really, truly beautiful. And if we get to live to see a truly multiracial, multi-ethnic, just America, that will be a, a prize worth fighting for, for for many, many centuries to come. So with that, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Stitcher. Rate the podcast. Share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. And with that, everybody, I hope you have a great rest of the week. Take care.